Gantz um, is so probably a pretty are. good basketball player. He's what, like six foot six? For sure. Sure. Yeah, he probably fouls like crazy. But. Yeah, but he's got to have like a really good hook shot or something. <laughs> yeah, I can see him totally just like mastering a hook shot, Kareem style. Anyways. Wow, I can't get enough of that intro. It is so fun. Happy holidays and welcome back to another episode of the Critically Zionist podcast, a podcast for critical Zionists who see Zionism as critical. In each episode, we deliver an in-depth discussion of an issue facing modern Zionism and Israel while enjoying one of our favorite Israeli beers, even if this week it's not necessarily one of our favorites, but that's all besides the point. If you have been enjoying talking Zionism over beer with us, Please invite a friend or two or some family members to join in on the conversation. I am your host, Shuki Hartuv, an Israeli tour guide for Hartuv Tours. And with me, as always, is Noam Zuckerman, the most well-read young Zionist around. Today's episode, we'll be talking about Israel's latest existential threat, and it's another election. Woohoo! All right, another day off. This week's episode about Israeli elections was so interesting that we actually went into overtime. So we broke it up into two parts. We recorded the episode during Hanukkah when it seemed like a sure thing that we were about to enter into another round of elections in the coming months. Since our recording, a temporary budget has been passed to stave off elections for another two whole weeks. So I guess I'll see what happens then. Impending elections or not, this two-part episode serves as an excellent primer for anyone who wants to learn about what happened in the past Israeli elections and who the players are now in the next elections that are to come. Part one is a look back at the last five Israeli elections dating back to January 2013, giving context to where we are coming from. Part two looks at the players, parties, and themes that Israelis think about and identify with during each election season, which seems to be every season. Uh, we hope that you enjoy. Before we get into all of that, Noam, what are we drinking today? All right, Chuki. Definitely not one of our favorite beers, as I'll say in a second, but I think that it might be my favorite brewery, or at least the master brewer is my favorite brewer in Israel. Um, today, we're going to be drinking Gems Beer Factory's 8.8. It's a Belgian ale in a reddish color with a fruity and rich taste. Um, it's got low bitterness, which means it's really sweet, and it has full body. As its name says, it's 8.8% alcohol. Now, why do we say it's not our favorite beer? Because Jem, the brewer, he's given us a, a good time a few times since we've made Aliyah. Um, but he was telling us about the beer, and he has amazing beers. There are many other beers, the Amber Ale, the Stout, um, that Jem's does really well. But he says that the reason why he has the 8.8, it's not because it's his favorite beer. He doesn't like it that much but it's the beer that Israelis like to drink the most because apparently they like sweet beers. And why Why does that work with the Israeli election, Shuki? Oh, man. It's just we're always stuck with whatever Israelis want. <laughs> <laughs> um, and as, as we'll go through probably in this episode, we don't necessarily like the taste of Israelis, not in their beer or in their politics. Um, but I think it's one of the things that we have to deal with. We're living in Israel and the reality of what people like here dictates not only who our politicians are, 
but also what are the beers that even our favorite brewer jam is willing to make in his brewery what you can say about the beer for sure is that whether you like the beer or not or don't like the beer one thing for sure is that it is full of flavor and there is no shortage of flavor in the israeli election season no matter which year we're talking so with that i guess we got to open them up eh, noam mine's already open i'm ready to go L'chaim, Noam. L'chaim. Um, but I think I think we should give a quick shout out to Jem, who's just an amazing guy. He made Aliyah himself. He was a lone soldier. He always supports lone soldiers. Um, and he's just got an amazing story. So for anyone who's looking for a nice experience, Jem's Beer Factory is really the best. And the brewery, um, outside the brewery, you've got a, a basketball court where in between rounds of beer, you can go outside and play some horse and then go back in and drink lots and lots of more beer. We've had lots of great times at that brewery and lots of great times with Jeremy. Um, it is really, really something. And the food is delicious too. Anyone who likes just good Super Bowl party-like food, that is what is served there in a very gourmet and delicious, delicious way. So, And do you remember when Gantz got into all of the elections and whatever, one of the first things that he did, they said that he went to go eat at Jem's Beer Factory and he played basketball on the court outside. Gantz um, is so probably a pretty are. good basketball player. He's what, like six foot six? For sure. For sure. Yeah. He probably fouls like crazy. But... Yeah, but he's got to have like a really good hook <laughs> shot or something. Yeah, I could see him totally just like mastering a hook shot, Kareem style. Anyways. L'chaim, <laughs> uh, Shuki. L'chaim, no finally drinking the beer with us. He's back in Israel. Welcome back. It's good to be back in Israel, uh, finishing quarantine after a little bit of traveling. So it is nice to be back in Israel. Shut up, set us up a little bit. What's been happening in Israeli elections? Even there's been, now we're in threat of the fourth since 2019, but we've had five since we made Aliyah in 2011. Tell us a little bit about it. So it seems a little bit crazy that we've had five elections in only nine and a half years that we've been in Israel. In the January 2013 election, the narrative of the election was really about should Haredim be forced to join the army through conscription like the rest of Israeli society. The new stars of this election were kind of the old stars of previous elections, which of course is always Bibi Netanyahu, who came back with a lot of fervor in this election. You have Aryeh Derry, who came back also after a little bit of a hiatus from the Shas party. You have uh, Naftali Bennett and Ayelet Shaked, who make the Baiti Yehudi party into a cool party. And this all results in an election where the right wing definitely have a lot of control, but that somehow Yair Lapid, who was, again, a newcomer for this election, who was this uh, pseudo-journalist who write, wrote a lot of puff pieces, founds this party called Yesh Atid, which is one that surprisingly still exists to this day. Not many centrist party lasts for as long as Yair Lapid's Yesh Atid party has. And he makes a deal with Bennett and Shaked to join in with Bibi Netanyahu's right-wing bloc. And they are essentially the coalition keys, the ones that make this coalition happen in 2013. The takeaway from this election was really, we have a government that's just to the right of the center with Livni, Tsipi Livni and Yair Lapid to kind of balance out the right wing. The turnout of this election was 67.7%. Noam, where were we during this whole election in January, 2013? We were in the army and that was our first election as Israeli citizens. Um, but I think it's weird saying as Israeli citizens because we were solely in the army. Um, and I think I had a really unique experience there because I came to Israel with my American experience after a little bit of college. I was pretty liberal um, and I was voting 
kind of like in heart as an Israeli citizen. Um, and I remember, and I was kind of like thinking, okay, who's the future for, for myself as an Israeli for kind of like, how can we move on as a government to think about, you know, Israeli society itself and also our relationships with the Palestinian. And what I noticed was all the people around me, like all the soldiers around me were voting only based on security because that was kind of like what the soldiers, at least in my unit in Givati were doing. So while I was looking at Yair Apid, you said Yeshatid, and it's important to translate the, the name of his party, which is there is a future. There's a future that looks at Israeli citizens. A lot of the other people that were around me in the army were voting for either Bibi Netanyahu because they believed that he was holding on to security and had been able to do that, or even Tali Bennett, who, who was leading the Bait Hayudi party, who represents as as we probably should have said, religious Zionism, whether it be kind of like modern Orthodox until so the kibbutz movement. Um, and he was a Not the kibbutz movement, the, set, the settler movement, not the kibbutz the, movement. And the religious kibbutz movement, ah. not the kibbutz movement as a whole. Um, so it has from the right wing to kind of like the, the religious kibbutzim, which are a little bit different than the rest of the religious Zionist movements. But Naftali Bennett, came out of Sayyid Matkal, the Israeli army's, you know, best unit. And he came out of high tech and he really made this, uh, this Mafdal party, the Bait UD party, something that was cool. And that seemed like it was, it was taking care of the security for Israel. Um, and I, I remember that feeling really strongly of seeing him kind of come out of nowhere. And also where, the feeling where of like, were you, where were you physically when you voted? I like was which... in an army base. I don't remember which base. Right, like I was on an army base in the south in the Negev called Se'ilim, and we and it was just so weird, like voting in like the middle of a desert, basically just surrounded by dirt everywhere. It wasn't like when I'm voting nowadays in a school in Tel Aviv with all these like desks around me or whatever. And I'm like voting in sweaty, gross, disgusting clothes surrounded by tons of dirt. I felt like the most Zionist, uh, you know, Zionist election ever. Um, but remember, like, this is where we first see, like, the real challengers to Netanyahu who kind of, like, make their names saying, I'm going to take down Netanyahu. And then they just, like, join the coalition and they kind of, like, they use the, the seats that they got for challenging Netanyahu to have a little bit more influence within the, within the coalition and to get whatever nice job they could get in the government. Um, and we had around two years until the next election in March 2015. What happened there? Well, as you were saying, this essentially sets the stage for this beginning of, are you against BB? Are you for BB? And if you're against BB, are you against BB to the max and you're always going to stay against BB? Or are you against BB and you're going to join his coalition but try to you know, bring BB back a little bit, something towards the people that elected you. And in March 2015, this was already the start of, you know, a lot of the murmurs about Netanyahu's various different corruption issues or whatever that were really starting to come out. And there was really a sense of kind of this should be the end of Bibi Netanyahu for the people on the left specifically. But the narrative of this election didn't have anything to do with Netanyahu still, or it did a little bit, but the main narrative of this election was about the nation state law, which is the law that makes 
Judaism the preferred religion of Israel. We're not going to get into the whole nation state law. Maybe that's an episode for another podcast. The new stars of this election, though, were the breakoff from Likud, Kahlon, coming in and jo- making his Kulanu party, which anyone who voted for Kahlon during this election was like, yeah, you know, this is the guy that made cell phones really cheap in Israel. And Happy to vote for this guy. I don't care if he joins a right-wing block or a left-wing block. I just want this guy in the government, and he is all good to go. And then another star of this election is Ayman Ode, who is the leader of this new, uh, the newly reformed joint list, which was the unification of the four Arab parties, which we're going to be getting into a little bit later on. At the end of this election, you have a right-wing block of 57 seats. You have a left-wing block of 53 seats, and you have a center block which is really only Kahlon, which is 10 seats. Kahlon gets to be the kingmaker. You need 60 or 61 seats to make a coalition, to make to form a government in Israel. Kahlon could have chosen the left, could have chosen the right. The left bloc is a little bit more complicated than just choosing the left to 53 because the Arab parties generally don't sit in the coalition. Again, something that we're going to get into later on. So Kahlon, in a way, had no choice but to join in with Netanyahu. And this, the takeaway from the March 2015 election is that this brings a bit of a slightly move to the right uh, of after this election, the government moves a little bit more to the right. But most importantly, is that it becomes a very religious coalition. You don't have the Tsipi Livni or Yair Lapid group of people in the coalition anymore, um, The representing the secular of secular left or secular center of society in the coalition. Now it is primarily a religious bloc plus Netanyahu plus Moshe Kahlon. And the turnout for this election was even greater than the one before. It had 72.3% of the Israeli electorate joining for this election. And most fun was where we were during this election. Noam, what, what were we doing at this time in March 2015? Well, after the election, we were really disappointed that this was the last stand of kind of like the Labour Party. Before the election, the polls were saying that Labour had a good chance under the Zionist Union with Bougie Herzog and Stupi Livni. And they kind of they projected that the left wing might actually take control. Uh, They had they had I don't remember how many seats they had. They had 24. They had 24 seats to Likud's 30. And this is when the when Bibi came out with that statement on election day that the Arabs were yeah they were coming in droves. So in this election, we really had a fear of the by the right wing that the left wing was gonna win. Um, but Bibi came out at the last second, and he was willing to use the rhetoric that Arabs are running to the polls in droves, um, and it pulled out a bigger turnout from the right wing. Meanwhile, we may have been disappointed by the result, but. Shuki and I were in the middle of hiking the Israel National Trail from the south to the north of Israel. Um, and we came back to Jerusalem because my brother was getting married, which was really exciting. And we, we went from Jerusalem to our kibbutz, kibbutz Saad, right next to Aza to vote for the election, the only time that we voted on our kibbutz. Um, and we got ready for my brother's bachelor party on the way back. So we had a really nice time, even without the without the results that we would have wanted. We had both just started dating our future wives. That is true. So we that got to have true. a fun barbecue and drinking fest and whatever with all of them. Um, I was really proud of the fact that that election, I voted for Meretz and I was one of 12 people on the whole kibbutz 
that voted for Meretz. I felt a lot of pride about that, which is really fun. And yeah, and I remember after this election, we just spent tons of time just kind of looking through at the election results and looking kibbutz by kibbutz and city by city, neighborhood by neighborhood to try to understand a little bit about Israeli society. But most importantly, it was trying to understand who these Kahlon voters were. Who were these people who said, do you know what? I don't like Bibi enough to vote for him, but I don't mind it if I have a dude who's in the coalition with Bibi that is, you know, secular, that will just kind of help out with my own vision of what the Israeli economy should look like and just have like a very centrist point of view towards Israeli society. And it's these 10 right. seats. And if, if in the election before the challengers to Bibi were from outside of his party, Lapid and, and Naftali Bennett, this is the first time where we see someone break off from within the Likud and try and get voters to vote for him because they're upset with Bibi. Um, but still, that person who broke off, he ends up joining the coalition. Ben and Shaked had been involved in the Likud. They weren't members of Knesset, but they were essentially from Likud. They were advisors to Netanyahu. So in a way, they were they kind were. of from the Likud camp, but also they were very different than your average Likud person. Uh, to this day, people say that Ayala Shaked is going to be the great successor to Netanyahu in Likud you know, in a hundred years when Bibi Netanyahu gives up control from the Likud party. But now let's head into our next round of elections. And at this point, we'll just call them elections Aleph, Bet, and Gimel. So Aleph was April 2019. And the narrative of this election, in a way, what launched the election was the Haredi conscription law once again. But the real backdrop of this whole election is Bibi uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu is facing corruption trials, all these allegations about different corruptions, the uh, the case 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, which could be, again, a whole topic for another podcast for another episode. And the new stars of this election came out of left field. No one had really talked or thought about them two years prior to this election. But in the leading up to this election and during the election itself, of course, we have a whole new cast of characters that start to dominate the discussion about the elections. We have Moshe Faglin, who comes in as a break off from the Likud, coming in saying that I'm going to be this new libertarian party and most importantly, legalize marijuana for the whole country. And that he was projected to win seven seats, I think, at one point, maybe even eight seats. There was Rafi Peretz, who takes over the Baytud from Bennett and Shaked, where Bennett and Shaked formed their own party called Yamina. There was a split up of the National Religious Party in a way that Rafi Peretz, in a way, just kind of becomes the new face of the National Religious Party when maybe he and the people who voted for the party weren't necessarily ready for that. But in a surprising turn, he becomes an important figure in the right wing. But the most important group of people who become the stars of the election are Benny and the generals. Benny! You have Benny Gantz coming in with three other former generals who make the Kachol Lavan, the blue and white party, which is a party that stands exactly everywhere and exactly nowhere, perfectly in the center, the right, the left, the everywhere, where the main stance is enough of Netanyahu. We are going to replace Netanyahu. And the result of this election was the right-wing bloc wins 56 seats, the left-wing bloc wins 51 seats, and the center bloc of 
the Baiti, uh, the Israel Beitenu party, and also Moshe Kachlon, basically this nine-seat block that's in the middle, ends up having to decide where the coalition is going to be. But the real key is Israel Beitenu and Lieberman. And the main takeaway from this party, this election, is that the Labour Party, if you thought it was dead the last after the last election, it is really, really dead after this election, going from uh, 24 seats from the election beforehand to, I think, what was it, 20, or sorry, not 20, uh, I think like six seats or something like that in the next election. Because Israel Beitenu didn't join the coalition, the Israel Beitenu had always been a right-wing party. The refusal to join into Netanyahu's government or maybe a government with the Haredim made it so that Israel couldn't form a coalition. And it's like this threat that has always existed in parliamentary politics that a government wouldn't be formed um, after an election finally happens. I don't Was this the first time in Israel's history? Or? Correct. This is the first time in Israel's history that there had to be a re-election because a coalition was unable to be formed. The fascinating thing about this is that Lieberman, you know, this was April, the election we're talking about is April 2019. In the election of January 2013, Lieberman literally runs with Likud. The Likud ticket was Likud slash Yisrael Beitenu. So this divide, this split of Lieberman from Likud, from not just that they became two different parties again, but the fact that he wouldn't even join the coalition after multiple elections, many, many years of threats to leave Bibi's side, no one could believe that Lieberman actually, actually, actually left Bibi Netanyahu. And it was a really huge shock. And this ultimately leads to this coalition not in, not happening in the end. The turnout for this election was 68.4%, so slightly lower than the March 2015 election. But where were we during this election, Noam? Do you have an interesting story from this one? No, I think I'm going to wait until the March election to say where I was. I don't really remember these first two elections and they they went by so quickly. So I remember this election very well because this was right after uh, Mayan was born. So it was Mayan's first election. And we had a really fun time going to the ballot box with her and trying to have her grab our pieces of paper and put them in the ballot box without her ripping them up. <laughs> I do remember that the Shabbat before we gave you, we gave Mayan, Shuki's daughter, the option of picking between different colors to decide which party Shuki would vote for. And she decided... She decided merits. She decided merits. And she decided merits. merits. Yeah, we gave her a blue block for Kaholavan, a red block for labor, and a green block for merits. And she picked the green block. So I voted for merits because of that, because I couldn't decide which way I was going to go. In September 2019, there was another election, as we mentioned before. And the star of this election, this was all about Lieberman. The narrative was Lieberman wants a unity government, that it doesn't matter how many seats Netanyahu wins, how many seats Benny Gantz wins, that Lieberman is only going to enter a government if it's with both Netanyahu and Benny Gantz. So he is both the narrative and the star. The right-wing block wins 55 votes. The left-wing block wins 57 votes. And the center block is Avigdor Lieberman with eight seats in the center where he gets to be the kingmaker and decide who is which coalition he's going to join. And again, the takeaway from this is that the country in a way wants unity, that Lieberman gets all these extra votes and all this extra publicity because people want there to be a unified government that doesn't have people on the far left, doesn't have people on the far right. And Lieberman, at the end of this election, 
you know, has this idea that, yeah, well, I can't join a party that has Arabs in it, so I can't join the left wing. I can't join a party that's ultra-Orthodox in it because I don't believe in anything that they stand for either. I need to join with these two, Kaholavan and uh, and Likud parties. And where were we during this election? No, I'm in September 2019. I mean, I was living in Kiryat Yovel. Again, I remember going to, to vote, and I think that this election, I honestly can't remember who I voted for in this election. Um, but what do I want to say? I think that Lieberman did something that was kind of what all of the Israeli public was thinking, where he said, you literally see that you have like 70 seats of the Knesset in the center, you know, like Likud a little bit to the right, Benny Gantz's party, who knows where they are, right in the center, a little to the left, a little to the right, probably all of the above. Um, and he said that there's just no way that a responsible government can be formed if it doesn't have both of those parties. That my job is to say there is no coalition if that's not what happens. And it, at that level, like you could see that Benny Gantz and Bibi Netanyahu were not willing or were not able to find the common ground um, to form a government together. Um, and I think like here you really see kind of like the dilemma that Israel is in. Like Gantz and Bibi, they're not very far apart in terms of ideology, in terms of politics. It's hard to see the difference between them. But the anti-Bibi, like the pro-Bibi or against Bibi rhetoric becomes so strong that it's literally impossible for them to form a coalition together. Keeping in mind that the pro-Bibi and anti-Bibi rhetoric has nothing to do with ideology. It has everything to do with, do you believe that Bibi Netanyahu is a corrupt politician or do you believe that he is doing, even if he is corrupt, do you believe that he's doing something for you uh, and doing something for the benefit of the country? And Gantz is in the camp of he is corrupt, therefore cannot be in government. And Netanyahu, of course, in his camp is saying he might be corrupt, but more importantly is that he's helping us out and he is the best for the country. And that brings us to the March 2020 election, which the narrative of this election, more so even than the other two elections, is Bibi wants immunity from prosecution. And he also ties this election very much with, I am only with the Haredim, that the right-wing Orthodox parties have to be in my coalition, whether, uh, you know, they have to be my coalition no matter what, even if Lieberman wants to join or whatever it is and demands it. Otherwise, I'm always, always, always going to stay by the Haredim. And the right-wing bloc ends up winning 58 votes, left-wing bloc 55 votes, the center bloc 7 votes. The coalition key, once again, is Lieberman. And the takeaway, again, is that being with the Arab parties is worse than having endless elections. What forms after this is a coalition, mostly out of this emergency government where Gantz and Netanyahu formed together some sort of agreement, which had absolutely nothing to do with actions that they're going to take about COVID, but really just about who gets to be prime minister and when. And it basically was the most, for me, it was one of the most embarrassing agreements to ever happen in Israeli politics, where they form this coalition in order to save the people. But the coalition itself, all the agreements, all that mattered, all the bullet points were really just about themselves and about who gets to be prime minister, who gets to control which cabinet seats, and so on and so forth. And where were we during this election, Noam? Go ahead. This was the this was like the best day. I I think everyone in Azor was so frustrated about elections, and we thought that they were never ever going to end. But we were so happy that for the third time in a year, we had a Sunday. Israelis don't really understand what Sundays are. So when there's an election and there's a day off in Israel, there's a day off for elections. 
finally get time to go for vacation, to take a day, to go for a trip, to spend time with friends in the middle of the week. Um, in Israel, we only have that experience on Shabbat. And for the third time in the year, we had it. And I remember we had an amazing softball game after voting in the elections. And then, uh, and then we went for a nice hike together afterwards with our family. Was yeah, a it, was a fun. it was a really, really fun day. And what's interesting is that everyone was expecting that in this third election, there would be such a low voter turnout. But it turned out that there was 71.5% voter turnout, which is the highest voter turnout since the March 2015 election, which had 72.3%. Israelis clearly don't get tired of these elections. They're clearly motivated to keep on voting for whoever they want to vote for. And who are they voting for? Who are they voting with? So no one at the end of the day in Israel votes for the issues. All of these last three elections, elections Aleph, Bet, and Gimel, at the end of the day, even if there was a side discussion about issues and party platforms, no one votes for issues. Everyone votes for tribes. You have the ultra-Orthodox tribe with Shas and the Aduta Torah, who again, don't really care about national politics. They just want to get their funding for their own, you know, whether it's Yeshivot or housing in Haredi neighborhoods. There's the Arab party, tribe that says that they don't really want to join with any coalition but we want to welcome in all different factions of the israeli arabs uh which is something that we're going to be talking about a little bit later on and there's the bb the bb steam the people who support bb which are people who vote likud of course and often people who vote uh, Yamina, like the Bennett and Shaked party, even though Bennett also tries to portray himself as anti-BB. But at the end of the day, he's always fine with joining in the coalition with Netanyahu, never had any qualms with that. And then you have the other tribe, which is the anti-BB crew, which is Meretz on the left. You have Kaholavan, the Benny Gantz blue and white voters. You have Labour, who ironically actually ended up joining in the coalition, uh, even though they were totally not they totally did not need to join the coalition of the last election and there's lapid who despite initially joining in with netanyahu and the first election that we discussed from 2013 lapid has now been one of the great faces of the opposition against Bibi, which has been a very surprising turn for yair lapid and then there's this no tribe center who are these people who vote for kahlon and that vote for Kacholavan that maybe once voted for Netanyahu, or the people who voted for Lieberman, especially in election number two, when Lieberman proved to be this voice of centrism, even though he's the least centrist person in the Israeli government, but he somehow became this face of, I am in the center, I don't want anyone from either extremes joining in the government. And in this upcoming election, the face of that might just be this latest you know, new star from the right wing coming in, uh, Gidon Saar, who came from the Likud camp, who is already being portrayed by Netanyahu as being a leftist, even though he is, if he would be elected prime minister, he would be by far the most right wing prime minister in Israel's history. But again, it's this kind of, I don't really have a tribe uh, and I'm against BB, but I kind of, at the end of the day, will join BB given a whole bunch of different circumstances. So, Noam, what has really changed? We've just discussed five elections. What's actually changed in these elections? Well, I think I want to stop a second from what you said, that center that you're talking about. It's not necessarily who are the people that are voting for these figures. It's who are the people in Israel that are willing to change their mind? 
um, who hears what a politician is saying, listens to what they're saying about the issues and is willing to really consider that and change their options. They may say that I'm right wing, but I'm frustrated with Netanyahu. So I'm going to think about who can represent me the best. Or they may say I'm center or left, but I'm a little bit frustrated with having leadership that doesn't have a chance at replacing the prime minister. Um, so I'm willing to go with someone who, who is like Benny Gantz, who, who has security credentials and has a, a legitimate chance of convincing the entire Israeli public to support him for prime minister. And they're really, there are these people in Israel that are willing to change their mind. And then there are other people that we were talking about who are, who are kind of like voting the way that they've always voted and probably the way that their parents have voted as well. Um, but I think that like one of the things that I've learned over the past five elections is that the only, it's kind of like what you were saying, the only thing that matters is where do you stand on Bibi? Um, do you want him to continue to be the prime minister? Do you believe that he's the best option for Israel? that the place where he's brought Israel over his, however long his reign is, is the best way of leading Israel? Or is there an alternative? And are the, the downsides of Bibi, um, his corruption, his ego, his willingness to create tension and divisiveness within Israeli society, is that enough of a cancer to make me vote for somebody else? Um, and I think that like that question has just like overtaken everything else, you know, like we have many issues in Israel, whether it is the wealth gap, whether it is like the education here, whether it's the way the connection between religion and state and the way that our country kind of like doesn't allow different expressions of Judaism and other religions to exist. Um, let alone like the Israel-Arab conflict, you know, like the Israeli and Palestinian conflict, all of these issues are pretty much ignored in favor of, are you willing to allow Bibi Netanyahu to continue to be prime minister, especially under investigations or not? This is the thing. I don't think that your assessment of this Kahlon block, let's just call them, of these people who vote for that center party, I don't know if it's that... These are the people who are willing to change their minds. Ultimately, if you look at all of these past elections since March 2015 and onwards, these the last four elections, if you will, you have a center block where Kahlon gets 10 seats. April, you have nine seats that go to the Kahlon and Lieberman. You have in September, eight seats go to Lieberman. In March, seven seats go to Lieberman. It's this very consistent block, this very consistent percentage of Israeli society that says it's not that... I'm willing to change my mind. It's that I want the government to change their mind. Like I'm fine with either side and I'm not going to vote with either side to really put my foot down that this is the one that I believe in, but I want someone in the middle to say, yeah, we have to have a functioning government where you could use that perspective, or you could say that it's people who just vote, yay, coalition. It's, I don't really care that much about the government. I don't really care that much about, you know, policies. I just want there to be a government. So it's either a vote that says, why can't we all be friends? And can you guys just get along already? Or it's a vote that says like, yay, coalition. Yeah, let's just get on with our lives and have a government at some point. I think that's a really good point. Um, and I'm not, I, I think that, that that's true. It's really like this expression of, okay, we want unity. We don't want to support the corruption of Netanyahu. We're willing to think of an alternative. 
What I would add there is that they see kind of like Israeli politics from a little bit more of a right-wing perspective. Like they're afraid of the Israeli Arabs. They're afraid of the two-state solution, maybe, but um, they're kind of like on the right wing because I think that at the end of the day, kind of like the ideology that you were talking about of searching for unity is a big portion of everyone who voted for Benny Gantz, but the people who voted for Benny Gantz were a little bit more willing to, to allow for kind of like the, the left-wing ideology to, to come into their politics. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, like once Benny Gantz in a way takes a stance, even though his only stance he's ever taken is I'm against Bibi, that's already too <laughs> polarizing for this center Kahlon block, which is, no, 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 we're not that against Bibi. And it's amazing that <laughs> there are people who argue that Kaholavan is coming down too hard on anything, on any sort of stance, that they'd be willing to vote for a different party because they want someone who is less, you know, I don't know, dogmatic about something. So I'm very confused by this block, but this is still the block that really at the end of the day is the kingmaker of the Israeli government. Kind of like how in America, there are those swing states that can either go Democrat or Republican. That ultimately it's like, you just have Pennsylvania and Wisconsin that decide every single election in America. So in Israel, it's not states. You don't have these electoral colleges, but you have this block of voters that at the end of the day, if they have enough power and their leaders have enough cojones, to make a decision, and it's basically always cojones because there's very few women who are involved in these in the Israeli parties in general. But that's besides the point. Shuki, we went over how we voted and we went over what went on in the Israeli election. But quickly tell me, you voted in each election and you voted for merits in each of the elections. Is there something that, like, tell me a little bit more about how you felt about voting. Are you happy with your vote? Are there things that you kind of feel bad about your vote? It's interesting because I think if you were to rank, especially the last three elections, Aleph, Bet, and Gimel, of which election I enjoyed the most, which one I was most proud of my vote, and which one, you know, I couldn't have given a crap in a way about my vote, I would rank it as Bet, Aleph, and then Gimel. That in Bet, there was a party, the uh, which was the Machana Democrati, that they had real stances on issues. And they took a lot of the ideology from Meretz. They brought in a lot of ideas from the Green Party. They brought in a lot of ideas from old school labor. And I really, really liked their party. And ultimately, why I voted for them was because I was really passionate about their politics. But in all of the other elections, and this is even dating back to when we were in the army, I voted for Meretz because I believe that this is a party that has something to say, whether I agree with all the things that they do on the left or all the things that they say, I don't necessarily know. But I do agree that their voice needs to be heard in the Knesset. And they actually are a party with ideas and ideology. So there's a really interesting podcast from Haaretz that had an interview with Ofer Shelach, who's from the Yeshatid party. And he was saying what's fascinating about Meretz is that they don't have, you know, the they don't have all the votes, but at the end of the day, they do have some sort of ideology. They actually do have something to think about and uh, something that people can vote for. And Kaholavan, the blue and white party, as much as you know, you could say, yeah, we're trying to get rid of Bibi, at the end of the day, they don't really have anything to stand for, which is fine for the election, but for a coalition and for governance, it's not really so helpful. You're essentially voting just to oust Netanyahu, but you're not voting for a particular ideology. 
And he's trying to claim, Ofer Shalach in the interview, that Yeshatid has some sort of ideology, which I've yet to see as well. But that's besides the point. The idea being that I voted for a party that actually has a heart, that actually has ideas, whether I agree with them or disagree with them, I actually know what I'm voting for when I vote for them. And most importantly is I want a party that actually has opinions, that has a stance, that I know what their stance is, to be in the government and to pass the minimum threshold. So I had a very different experience than you, Shuki, because I feel I I changed my vote, I think, every time. I think one of the times I voted for the Labour Party, one of the times I voted in the second election, I voted for Mahana Democrati, which you was merits, but it had Ehud Barak and Stav Shafir, Ehud Barak, famous general, former prime minister, who for some reason came back into politics. Stav Shafir, kind of like a, she became really popular when she led the she led the movement for housing reform in 2011. And essentially, they were the two figures, and they combined with merits Nitzan Horvitz, um, who was the leader there. Um, so I voted for them and I think I voted for Benny Gantz one time, but I'm not sure. Um, and I think that like, for me, what I noticed was that I was voting based on coalitions. I felt like I'm a, a pretty left-wing person overall, though I have a little bit of, uh, you know, like my security views are maybe center. Um, they may be not according to a specific agenda. Um, but I think that like, I I was voting I was voting towards the left because I felt like the only way that BB could be replaced was if right-wing voters would vote for the right side of the party I would vote for the left and together there would be a coalition that came together and I wasn't really thinking about any of the issues more than that and I feel like for me there are a few issues that are really important one of them being religion and state I'm I believe in liberal Judaism I don't think that Israel gives a place for it I don't think that there's a political party anywhere on the spectrum that works with that. Even like maybe some of them are open to it, but none of them actually care about that. Um, I think that in terms of like the relationship with the Palestinians, I think there needs to be a lot of change. I think that we need to make moves. We need to be um, proactive on the, these terms. And I think that even the left-wing political parties don't have kind of like a a way forward that, that makes sense to me. Um, so I, and, and I think that the other thing is that like a lot of people talk about kind of like the social issues in Israel, education, the wealth gap or whatever. I don't think anyone's actually working on that. So the only thing that I was voting for was trying to get Bibi out. And it was just like really frustrating. Like, I don't know if I regret any of my votes, but I don't feel happy about them. I kind of just feel like I was playing in the game of politics, which I really don't enjoy. As Justin Bieber said, it's all about the BB, about the BB, no trouble. It's all about the BB, about the BB. Anyways, that's absolutely right. And I feel like that's how so many Israelis vote, um, which is trying to just use your vote as strategically as possible, whether it's for the coalition, whether it's for a specific party, uh, in order to Get rid of BB in order to, again, it's all about the BB. We hope that this conversation gave you some perspective on what's been going on over the past five Israeli elections. Be sure to listen to part two, where we discuss the important players, parties, and themes that are sure to come up in the next election, whether they're in a few months or in a year's time. It definitely won't be 
too long. If you've been enjoying our conversation, please remember to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please give us a five-star rating and invite a friend to have a listen. Send us an email uh, to tell us your thoughts or send us suggestions for future episodes at critically zionist podcast at gmail.com look in the episode description for the podcast notes and relevant links for useful information you can follow me shuki on twitter and instagram at heart tours thanks again to elijah aaron for the amazing music and check out his music at elijahaaron.com my name is shuki hartub and i'm noam zuckerman See you next time on the Critically Zionist Podcast. So.